If you turn to John chapter 1, we'll pick up in verse 35, and we will make our way down to verse 49 eventually today. Now, Jesus has already been given a number of names, and you can kind of look at John chapter 1. It's a long chapter. It's a very detailed chapter. It's a very wonderful chapter because it's kind of like the art gallery of Jesus. We, we see his monumental character, his name, his mission, all of those things in the various things that he is called here. We've already seen him as Logos. We've seen him as the Word. We've seen him as the Light. We've seen him as the Life. We saw him last time as the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. We're going to now see him as Messiah, the Promised One of Israel. We're going to see him as, as Israel's true King. Two more names that we can add into this wonderful gallery of the beauty of Jesus. And as he begins now to to open up our minds a little bit to the whole purpose for why Jesus came, because Jesus came with a purpose, and he came that the world through him would be saved. And so the central focus of all of Scripture that began in Genesis in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 as man is brought onto this earth by God, God has always intended for the good news of the gospel to reach men's hearts so that they can be saved. And so we're now going to see the beginnings uh, of the ministry and of the calling of the disciples uh, here as we pick up in verse 35 in John chapter 1. Verse 35 begins this way, and again, the next day, so we're going to see three successive days, and then we'll see the term three days, so a week is going to transpire in chapters 1 and 2. And and so during that time, John the Baptist is at his ministry station there in the Jordan River Valley, and and this, this incredible scene begins to unfold, and the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And so he repeats, in essence, what he's already previously said. He's called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so this is a reoccurring theme now, as John the Baptist is reminding those who are in the the general vicinity, that is the Lamb of God. Now remember, the audience is primarily Jewish, but in and amongst this group, is this, this central traveling point, and it's so important for you to understand the context of where this is happening, because it's happening at the crossroads of what would have then been uh, really the known world of, of the Middle East. It's the Jordan River Valley. It's the central point. In fact, if you travel there today, there are two main routes that travel through Israel. You have Highway 90, which goes from north to south, and Highway 1 that goes from east to west. It is exactly where this is happening. And so there at the crossroads of the road to Damascus coming from the north from Syria, the road from the east beginning over in Petra in modern-day Jordan, this incredible caravan route. From the south, you would have had the road coming from Egypt, and to the west, you would have had the road coming from Jerusalem. So John the Baptist has set up camp for his traveling ministry show at the crossroads of the Jordan River, not very far from what today is the modern Allenby Bridge, John is set up in a place where all kinds of people are going to be. They'll be coming from every land. They'll be coming with all kinds of different purposes. But here comes the the entourage from Jerusalem. Behold the Lamb of God. These two disciples heard him speak. 
And they follow Jesus. Jesus is just talking. And they follow Jesus. And then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, What do you seek? Why are you here? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is a name that simply means teacher. It was a term of endearment. It was also a title to those who spoke forth the word of God. Where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him for that day. And that was about the 10th hour. So it's about 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. The day began at sunrise, so 10 hours after sunrise, 10 10 hours after 5 or 6 in the morning. It's probably 3 or 4 in the afternoon, so they're going to spend the rest of the afternoon with Jesus. One of the two of them who heard John speak and followed him, followed Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We've found Messiah, which is translated Christ, Christos, anointed one. And he brought him to Jesus. So thus far in this gallery, hanging these portraits are are the Son of God, the Lamb of God, this beautiful picture of who Jesus is and what mission he was on. You know, sometimes we get confused about why the church even exists. But the church exists primarily to show people Jesus. In, In a nutshell, all church is is a place where people can meet Jesus. Now, we do that in all kinds of different ways, and then we go on further to tell people how to live their life for Christ and share all the depths and the riches and the beauty of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. But the beginning of that journey is people meeting Jesus. And so the church should never lose focus. We are here to show people Jesus. That's why church exists. It's not to promote a style of ministry. It's not for us to build bigger buildings or do as Solomon did and build bigger barns. It is for us to show people Jesus. And so we see the beginning of that very thing happening here as we continue our journey here in the first chapter of John's Gospel. And I want you to see how the Lord begins to do this. Now, I don't know how many of you own one of these, but I happen to have a pigeon New Testament, Hawaiian pigeon. And, and, and in there, if you read it, there's all kinds of just wonderful colloquial language where people are just talking about Jesus. And it kind of gives a, a special flair to this. You know, you can almost see Jesus going, how's it, brother? What up? You know, you kind of, you could kind of, this is not Jesus doing some kind of theological explanation of sanctification or maturation. He's not explaining to them deep theological things. He's simply so, what are you guys up to? What's going on? Why are you here? And he doesn't say, well, you know, if you just go to church... And again, church is a wonderful place, and this can happen at church, and it should happen at church, but he's going to develop a relationship with them first. He's basically saying, you're looking for Messiah, 
If you're looking for a king that's going to take over the earth, then maybe you should join the zealots. He's not going to solve all their problems initially. He's certainly not going to conquer Rome. Matter of fact, he will give his life a ransom for many. He will be killed. Rome's actually going to put him to death. Let's take a look. You see, God's looking at these Galilean fishermen. You and I would be going, well, have you been to Bible college? You know, can you explain to me the basic doctrines of the faith? And again, those things are good, and we have those types of requirements here for ministry. But during this day and time, Jesus is going to select his disciples primarily from Galilean fishermen. He's looking at their hearts. He's saying, what's up with you? How are you doing? So how did Jesus do ministry? Let's take a look at this for a minute. So, so Jesus asked Andrew and John to spend the day with them. He said, why don't you come hang out with me? You see, he's teaching them uh, one of our modern buzzwords. You see, we, we use it, millennials love this word. And it's a great word, by the way. I happen to love it as well. Relational. Jesus was all about relationship. Matter of fact, Jesus did relationship really, really, really well. And we as the church ought to be thinking that one through. Because sometimes what we end up doing is we make church about church. We don't make church about relationship. And yet what the Lord Jesus wants to do with each of us is develop a relationship with us. He wants us to know him and the power of his resurrection. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to hang out with you. He wants you to be with him and him to be with you. He wants a relationship with us. And so that's what we should be showing other people. That cold Jesus that exists within these four walls is not the real Jesus. The real Jesus is meeting with those people in your workplace. The real Jesus is meeting those people at school. The real Jesus is the one in the line at Costco. The real Jesus is the one at the gas station. The real Jesus is at your dinner table. The real relational Jesus happens wherever you are. You see, you're the key to that because Jesus is in heaven and he transferred that duty over to us to show people the light of the world. And in doing so, he wants us to be relational and relatable. And so look how he does this. Where are you dwelling? He first asked them how they're doing. What are you seeking? Where are you dwelling? Well, call up my secretary and see if you can make an appointment. No, he says, I live over here. Why don't you come with me? And while in the way that we do ministry now, it is essential we have some structure. I mean, I can't see everybody every day, but it's about relationship. It's about meeting people. 
Notice how he does it. They find other people and they bring them to Jesus. John brought James. You're going to see Nathaniel and Andrew. All they're doing is bringing people to Jesus and Jesus hangs out with them and they get saved. It's not that complex. George Barna, the Pew Pew Research Company, has done all kinds of polls asking people how they come to faith in Christ. A vast majority of people do not get saved at crusades. A vast majority of people get saved because somebody shares the gospel with them one-on-one. As important as crusades are, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here, that is not how most people come to faith in Christ. It's because you talk to your own neighbor. It's because you sit down at the dinner table with somebody you came over with a friend. It's because you go to the grocery store and you see somebody who obviously is troubled and you ask them if you can pray for them. And they want to know why in the world you would do that. Well, it's because I believe that God answers prayers. And I have a personal relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he says if we'll ask anything in his name, that he hears those prayers from heaven. You see, you're showing people, you're taking people to Jesus. You're not waiting for them to find Jesus. You are taking them to Jesus via a relationship. You're being intentionally relational. As we began this year, each one win one. Our church would double overnight if we simply did that. That would be insane. It'd be crazy. We'd need a balcony or something back there. I don't don't know what we'd do. Plant other churches. But Jesus did relationship. That's how he did ministry. He ate with people. He met with people. He walked with people. He talked with people. It was from that place that they saw him as Messiah. He didn't come with an entourage with a whole bunch of books and said, here, learn about my Messiahship. They met Jesus. Who is this Son of God? Who is this Lamb of God? You see, if those who are in the audience, those who are around, those who gathered at those crossroads, that, that place that, that today is, is, is a little tiny area of the, of the Jordan River where it narrows before it goes into the Dead Sea, if those in that, in that area could, could be transformed and their minds could be renewed simply by listening to a wild man who's, who's wearing this camel hair garment and eating locust and wild honey just simply preaching the name of Jesus, I think we can lead people to Jesus. Amen? You see, the, the Jewish people were looking for Messiah. They were looking for the Christ. The whole Tanakh, the whole Torah, the first five books, ultimately would, would lead them to Jesus. They love to sing the Psalms. They, they could have been sitting there thinking, Psalm 2, I wonder who that's about. Psalm 22, who's that about? Psalm 16, who is that about? Who is the one that will cry out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Who is the one that would see these people wagging their heads and and he would cry out, the bulls of Bashan have surrounded me? You see, they were looking for Messiah. 
And now all of a sudden people are starting to talk. We found Messiah. It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus begins to gather his disciples. The whole, and you can imagine some of them starting to share. It's like, yeah, I was, uh, we, in synagogue we, we were reading the scroll of Isaiah. It says he'll be a suffering servant. Somebody said this guy who John's been calling the Lamb of God who takes away, they said he was born some strange way. His mom didn't have relationship with dad and here comes this guy. He's from Nazareth. But you know what? We think he was born in Bethlehem. Didn't the prophet say something about that? You see, they would have been looking for the one described as Messiah. But how does Jesus get them there? He gives them a personal invitation. He says, come, see. Here at this crossroads, here in the middle of this desolate, absolutely uninhabitable area. Very close to the the north edge of the Dead Sea. Well below sea level, blazingly hot. All that exists there today, when you travel in that part of the Jordan, there's, there's some reeds and a few palm trees and a whole bunch of farmland that didn't used to be there. But it is the crossroads, and people are coming. And he says, come and see. There were no doubt asking him questions. People are going to ask you questions about Jesus. Are you prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within you? Because people are going to ask you why you go to church. Oh, because there's this crazy old dude. We have great worship. All true. We do lots of stuff. Also true. We have missionaries, also true. But you want them to come and see Jesus. Come and see Jesus. In you, in me, in us, in the mission field, in our worship, in our prayer time, in our Bible study, we want the world to come and see Jesus. That's why we're here. You have to get personal in order for that to happen, folks. And I know a lot of people, well, and I hear this frequently and often, and I'm not disrespecting anyone. Well, my faith is very personal. Your Savior was very public. So maybe there's a little mismatch there. We need to get public about our personal relationship with our Savior. Because world, the world is, is perishing without Jesus. And they need to come and see Jesus. In you, in me, in us. They need to come to your house for a meal. They need to come to my house. They need to meet us on the highway, in the byway, wherever we are. Jesus should be there in technicolor. It should be visible. 
What a great conversation. Notice verse 41, down through the end of verse 42. The disciples are starting to be gathered. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found Messiah, translated Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon. What's Simon coming to see? You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You're Simon, the wanderer. You're Simon, the rebellious. You're you're Simon, the disobedient. You're a son of Jonah. But you shall be called Cephas. Peter. Cephas is Aramaic for Petros in the Greek. Peter. You used to be Simon the Wanderer, the disobedient one, the one running from God, but you're going to be Peter, the stable rock, clinging to God. That all happened because he was brought to Jesus. And Jesus says something to him that was designed just for Peter. One of the great joys of being a pastor is being used by the Holy Spirit to speak directly into people's lives when you have no idea why you're saying what you're saying. I cannot even tell you how many emails and texts and phone calls. It was like you were talking directly to me. I wasn't. But God was. He borrowed my lips for a few moments for something constructive for his kingdom. But here you have God incarnate in human flesh. You have the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world looking right at Simon saying, you used to be Simon Barjona, Simon, son of the wandering one, but you're going to be Peter, the rock. Now Peter's life didn't instantaneously change to rock, did it? Matter of fact, he was more like mud, dirt, and the other things that eventually make up rock, right? He, he kind of still wandered a little bit from time to time. But the truth was the transformation took place, we know, because of the end. In the end, while he's denying that he ever knew Jesus, eventually he'd give his life for Christ. So that transformation was real. And the whole time, they're seeing the promised king, the anointed one, the only one who could do these things. Verse 43, that goes down. Now we'll take down to verse 49. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. But he found Philip and said to him, follow me. And now Philip was from Bethsaida. Bethsaida is right on on the entrance of the Jordan River into the Sea of Galilee. So significantly north of where John was baptizing. The city of Andrew and Peter, a fishing village, right on the edge of the lake. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law. Now check this out. We've been looking for Messiah. We've been looking for the promised king. 
We've been looking for the one that supposedly this wild man in the wilderness would talk about. We found him. The one Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. And let us tell you who he is. He's Jesus of Nazareth. The son of Joseph. And Nathaniel, being a good Jew, being one who was wise in the area of Scripture, understood the Old Testament. It's like, man, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, have you been there? I mean, the fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, that's like not real good. But Nazareth, that's even worse. And Philip said, come and see. Again, come and see. Let's get real. Let's get relational. Let's make sure this happens in your life personally. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and and said of him, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom is no deceit, no guile. You see, remember, Jacob's name got changed as well. Jacob used to be deceiver, heel catcher, but his name was changed to Israel, governed by God. Or God over. And so he says, look, let's get real about this. There needs to be a transformation in every one of our lives. And Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Well, because God knows every last one of us. That's how Jesus knew. And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, before you were brought to me, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what was going on in his mind? Nathaniel hears that. Who told you? How'd you get that? He he ratted me out. I was underneath the fig tree. No, God's known everything about you since before you were born. Knows where you were last night, too. Knows what you did yesterday. Knows what you said on the way to church this morning in the car. Kind of frightening, isn't it? Knows your whole life beginning to end before you live the first second of it. And Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, there's exactly one way you could have known that. You are the Son of God. He's acknowledging who Jesus is. And you are the King of Israel. You're the promised King. You see, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. And that was, that was a huge stigma. It's like it was the wrong side of the, the freeway. It was the, it was the place that no one wanted to go. We have some of those stigmas still today. And they're just as wrong today as they were then. And so what does Jesus say? You know, it doesn't matter where you're from. It matters who you know. Do you know me? Have you met me? To be called a Nazarene was it was a, it was a slight. It wasn't a good thing. 
It's like somebody saying to you, you know, you, I don't know where you came from, but you probably ought to go back. It was, they were insulted. But soon he would see him for exactly who he was, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We'll see more of this when we take the remainder of this chapter. That as Jesus reveals who he is to Nathaniel, he makes a bunch of very, very astute observations extremely quickly. He's putting the puzzle pieces together. And here's what happens. And it happens in your life. It happens in my life. God is at work in your life and God is at work in my life from day one. And he's setting up all kinds of divine appointments. He's giving you all kinds of things. Speaking to you in ways that you don't even know what he's doing until later all of a sudden. There's an opportunity and all you know is you need to know Jesus. For me, that happened, I was, I was either six or seven. When I get to heaven, I'm going to meet a lady. I have no idea her name. But I know she took time out of her busy schedule when I was six or seven years old to teach vacation Bible school at my grandmother's Methodist church. And I remember sitting on the stairs and her telling me about Jesus. I didn't give my life to Jesus that day. But my heart was being prepped for the good news of the gospel that would come when I was 13 years old. So all along life's path are you in other people's lives. Preparing the way of the Lord. Exactly as John the Baptist was doing. Preparing the way for other people to reach that place, that point in time that God has designed for them, to where all of a sudden the gospel is spoken, preached, revealed to them, and they know that they need to meet the promised king. And then that profession of faith happens. You see, this promised king to the Jewish people had been known for millennia. At least 1,500 years. Possibly longer. And one by one, the revelation of Jesus happening through relational ministry, people talking to other people, sharing verses with them from the Old Testament. They didn't have the new. It wasn't even written yet. And none of them carried Bibles. They just could remember somebody, some rabbi somewhere, had shared with them some piece of the Old Testament revelation of who Messiah would be. And all of a sudden, one by one by one, one person leads another person. And here this whole group comes to faith in Christ. It's a picture of how the Lord's at work in our lives. Your life, my life. Our lives corporately together. And I want you to notice something here. These were not biblical scholars. These were not pastors. These were just ordinary fishermen who came in contact with Jesus because someone led them to Jesus. They would become the disciples. They would become the apostles. That work would happen later. But someone went and found a brother. Someone went and found someone in their own town. Someone said, come and see. 
that's what I have to say to you today. Find someone and say to them, come and see. Let's have coffee together. Let's have lunch together. Let's go for a hike together. Let's go for a walk. Let's go fishing together. Do anything so that people can come and see Jesus. It's why you're still here. Because the next time he comes back, he's coming back exactly as Revelation 19.6 says, with his name on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We want people to know him before he gets here. We want people to know all of his names. You ever, I don't know if you ever think of these weird things. I do. I'm strange, okay? It's all right. I thought about what the business card of Jesus would look like. <laughs> Be like six feet long. Messiah, light, life, resurrection in the life, the, the way, the truth, the light, Messiah, the Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha. And the, you, you get what I'm saying? You get an opportunity to tell people about him. Say, come and see. Come and see Jesus, God's own son, who died on Calvary's cross to give you new life. Would you stand with me? Worship team's going to come back out and lead us in a moment in a closing song. But I believe that there are some that came today maybe brought by a friend, maybe brought by family, maybe you walked through the door, maybe you came in just simply because there's some air conditioning in here. (laughs) But what you actually came in here for was to come and see. And I want to give you that opportunity right now. Because Jesus Christ, God's own son, died on Calvary's cross so that you could have eternal life. But you must believe. And maybe the ground of your heart was prepared before you ever got here. And I want to give you an opportunity right now to receive Christ as your Savior. So body of Christ believers, would you bow your heads with me and your hearts and begin to pray right now for those who do not know because I believe there are some in the room today. If that's you, you came in and you have never seen Jesus but you know that Jesus Christ, God's own Son, wants to have a personal relationship, and you got invited today to come and see him. If you'd like to receive Christ today, would you just simply slip your hand up right wherever you are, anywhere in the room. I want to pray with you right where you're at. Anyone at all? Anyone at all? I see that hand in the back. Praise the Lord. I see that hand in the front. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else? Don't miss the opportunity. I see that hand as well. I see that. I see both those hands. Praise God. Anyone at all. We're just going to pray with you. You're going to stay right where you're at. I see that hand as well. Hallelujah. They've come to see, folks. They've come to see. Anyone at all. A couple more seconds. I see that hand as well. There's another hand. Another hand. Another hand. Hallelujah. Oh, God, we thank you. You're too good.
For those that have raised your hands, if you'd do me the honor of just praying with me, please pray out loud. Mean it from your heart. God hears your prayer and you will be a child of God today. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and I desperately need a Savior. And I realize today that I came to see you, Jesus. And I'm inviting you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I realize you died on Calvary's cross in my place. And that you have been raised to eternal life. And so I will have eternal life by believing in your name. I give you my life that you would be the Lord of it. I promise to turn from my sin. And to walk with you all of my days. Please write my name in the Lamb's book of life. I receive now the free gift of grace. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now there were hands up all over the sanctuary. We have a prayer team in our prayer room. We have Bibles available for you with you, all kinds of study materials. Want to get you plugged into our Get Launched growth program if you haven't done that yet. But welcome to the family of God. You came and saw and Jesus loves you. Lord is too good. Amen. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your blessings that we got to be here on the spiritual birthday of so many. And we pray that you would seal these now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, keep the enemy from ever touching them. Lord, guide them and guard them. Lord, would you be with us? Would we bring people to you, Jesus, so that they too can come and see that you, Jesus, love them? We ask this in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen.